Did you ever have a crush on one of your babysitters growing up? I may have. Probably. Don't judge me. Sean was awesome. Wait. Um... <laughs> you had a dude baby. Actually, I had a dude babysitter once, and he. I remember him take. You know those the the crispy candy bars that used to sell for like t-ball or whatever in the white wrapper oh yeah yeah the world's finest yep yeah i i wanted one of those and my and he put it up like on top of like a picture frame that was out of my reach and i as a kid you just kind of say stupid shit sometimes i was like i'll kill you or like i'm gonna hit you if you don't give me that candy bar i remember very distinctly him him being the first person to ever say if you hit me it better kill me because i'm gonna hit you back (laughs) (laughs) i never did get that candy bar (laughs) (laughs) Nor did you ever lash out. <laughs> yeah, never again. Uh, you're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 191, side B. This is the Gimme 5 Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast reviewing the things you love today and the things you loved yesterday. We are in di- week two, I almost said day two, week two of the summer of 1987. And we are reviewing the movies that came out the summer of 1987 in the order in which they came out. And this week, we are going to be reviewing Adventures in Babysitting. Which Yay. would have come out this past weekend. Yeah. Elizabeth and uh, those voices you hear, first of all, my name is Thor, and I am joined by Christy Thomas. I'll take that one. Hi. <laughs> I, Omar got that one first. And okay. Mary Ann Spear. Hi. <laughs> Any guesses as to where those names come from, other than Thor? You know where that one's from. Uh, those are actually members of the Babysitter's Club. Oh, really? are they sad really? Thing, the sad thing is I didn't have to look that up. Wow. So well, I'll be I Kelly didn't... Ferguson. There you go. That's the babysitter's uh, guide to monster hunting. Out there. I'm Kay Ferg. <laughs> you guys this are giving me a hard time a... for reading Wild Bird. I I was actually a a ravenous babysitter. Yeah, you're a reader. bitch, Greg. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was a ravenous babysitters club reader in fifth and sixth grade. Um. The first one I read was about was like scary. It was like I believe it was called Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls, and it was terrifying. Okay, mm. but it was really like some dude that had a crush on her or something, but and he was like hanging up on because he was scared to talk. But anyway, she had feelings. Uh, this is a side B episode, which Don't we just said, and we are going to talk at length about adventures in babysitting, and then we are going to answer our Give Me Five question of the week, and it's going to be fun. It will be. But this is, in fact, a review show. Guys, this movie came out in 1987. If you haven't seen it, pause the recording and friggin' go watch it. Because it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun, and it's an enjoyable watch, and it's actually one you can watch with your kids. Then come back. Don't bring your kids, because we're a little vulgar at times. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as Rob said, then come back and then we can discuss out. Adventures in Babysitting. July first of nineteen seventy seven. But if we ruin it for you. Uh, it was Don't directed by this Chris Columbus, who, of course, did a bunch of 80s movies. He also, I believe, did the first Harry Potter movie, if I remember this, correctly. And this actually, I believe, was his first foray into directing. Wow. He, the only thing he had done before this was a, um, what, one of those uh, student shorts or whatever. Oh, okay. Wow. I know That's I've directed crazy. many student shorts in my time, but. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> My Ooh. offensive level is uh, it's, that's about a, that was about a six on my offensive about level. About a six, all right. Ten, yeah, yeah. And Try hard. and actually, um, there was some question about about producing this movie because it Paramount actually had first refusal rights, and Paramount would only do the movie if it taught if it starred Molly Ringwald, and as we'll talk about in a minute. In fact, did not star Molly Ringwald. And so they denied it, but Disney was all over it. Mm-hmm. Which I did not realize this was a Disney movie until I saw it, that it is, by the way, available on, on Disney+. Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So if you have Disney+, Plus, you can watch this movie, just like Rob said, and then you can come back without your children and talk about it or listen to us talk about it. Yeah, it was actually produced by Touchstone, or done by Touchstone, which is... Uh... Uh, let's see, the... Writer of this movie was David Simpkins. The producer, you did mention production. It was produced by Deborah Hill, um, mm-hmm. who, if you remember that name, that she produced the original Halloween movie, which was called The Babysitter Murders. So this is clearly a sequel to the original Halloween movie. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. And and actually, I, I did see that um, uh, Spielberg. Spielberg was very interested in helping out Chris Columbus and was, was contemplating... Uh, producing this movie so that he could be the director and get this movie done um, should he not be able to secure, you know, production. But, you know, he got it, he got it situated before Spielberg even had to step in. So it was almost done under Amblin Entertainment. Hmm. And uh, also, uh, you can see Halloween on a TV in the background of one of the shots. You can see what? Halloween? Interesting. The movie Halloween. Really? On the TV when they're, they're in the living room talking. Yeah. And and if you listen closely, you can hear the music. That's funny. Uh, this movie stars Elizabeth Shue, mm-hmm. Maya Bruton, Keith Coogan, Anthony Rapp, Vincent D'Onofrio, which mouth jaw-dropping on that one. Yeah, I totally forgot he was in this movie. I was like, yeah. oh, that's Vincent D'Onofrio? <laughs> yep. Penelope Ann Miller and Bradley Whitford. Uh, Bradley Whitford, sleazeball in this movie. Yeah, and he um, plays a lot of sleazeballs, actually. Um yeah. But interestingly enough, Elizabeth Shue actually was not the first choice to play the main, the the lead in this movie. And there there were a lot of actresses that were rumored to be attached to or in the running for the role of Chris, who is the main character, Chris Parker, um, including actresses like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jodie mm-hmm. Foster, Michelle Pfeiffer, Valerie Bertinelli, Justine Bateman, Sharon Stone, Kelly McGillis, Brooke Shields, Kathleen Turner, Andy McDowell, Tatum O'Neill, Melanie Griffith, and Heather Langenkamp. And when I see that many names, and, I'm like... And John Stamos, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, but when I see that many names, I'm like, did they just... It makes me wonder whether or not they just really weren't sure where they were going to go with this, or whether or not people who contributed to the facts on this article are just full of shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> like how many of those were just rumor? 
Right. There there were a lot of names that were supposedly quote unquote considered for this movie. I and I'm I'm totally doing the the Air Bunnies thing that you guys can't see. Um there were there were many many names that were associated with this movie, but I I I don't know how to verify any of that. So, I mean, I just listed all the ones that I that I came across and I don't know how accurate they are, but when I see that many names, I kind of I kind of question. It, it's it's possible that it was a a casting call thing where they're like we we want this type of person and then people you know try out for it and then they kind of list them because that was a lot of names for mm-hmm. something that wasn't in it was in production for a while but it wasn't in production that long right that they could write and rewrite and change tone and all that for that many names it sounds like somebody was like <clears throat> in a room when they were just sort of like one day just talking about we're throwing out just names. throwing out names yeah. hey what about this person what about this person and then someone wrote yeah, them exactly. all down and said Look at all the people that were considered. No, it, this was just like a chat. <laughs> it was yeah. like a stream of consciousness idea thing. It wasn't. Doesn't mean I think the first four or so that you mentioned was more legit. The first like, what? The first four or so that you mentioned. Like I, I, I know Molly Ringwald was one hundred percent part of it. Um, she was I considered. Um, was. I, I know that Valerie Bertinelli was considered because she was actually up in the running. She screen tested along with. Um, along with Elizabeth Shue, and they yeah. said that she, she just came off as, as angry, and they, they didn't know that they really wanted that that kind of feel for the role. So Valerie Bertinelli was was nixed. Um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus stepped aside so that Jodie Foster could try out, but then Jodie Foster actually withdrew, and Michelle Pfeiffer then withdrew, and then it was left, from what I heard, to Valerie Bertinelli, Justine Bateman, and Elizabeth Shue. And, and John they, Stamos. And John Stamos. And they didn't really like that Valerie Bertinelli's screen test. And I don't remember what actually happened with Justine Bateman. I think she withdrew or she was tied to another project um, as this was getting started. So so she couldn't do it. Gotcha. All the others may have just been speculation. But I know those first like four or five definitely were actually in the running. Mm-hmm. This movie fell right in the middle of a crazy summer, obviously, Predator, RoboCop, all these other movies we're going to be reviewing at some point, Spaceballs. Um, what's interesting is I had never seen it until two days ago. I'd You've never, never, you had never seen this movie? Never seen it. I thought I had because I had seen parts of this movie, but either I completely blanked it from my mind or not. Now, I didn't see a lot of these movies because this was the summer summer of 87 this is a weird summer for me because my parents were deciding to move to florida this summer so i was either basically like at home with my grandmother a babysitter at the time um and what was i gonna do you know grandma take me to see robocop (laughs) (laughs) or or i was traveling back and forth from pittsburgh to florida which is why if you remember when we did summer school which also came out this summer i said that i saw it in florida because we were down there visiting, and it was like, okay, you know, uh, parents are going to look at houses. What can we do? Oh, we'll just bring the kid to a – one of the parents will bring the kid to a movie, you know? So I had never seen it. Um, I know very specifically that some of my friends from Chicago love this movie because it was – it's such a a love letter to Chicago. You see a lot of landmarks there. Mm-hmm. You know, it talks about the suburbs and going into the city, which is something that all of the kids did. And this is 
a very good friend of mine um, was from some of the some of these areas and like even when I went to Chicago for Lollapalooza one year even though I had not seen the movie I knew that building the big diamond shaped top yeah. building the um oh god what was it called it's the um I have it written down um it's changed names a bunch of times over the, the years crane it's like the crane media building right um, but at the time it was the something yeah uh the crane communications building okay which we'll we'll talk about probably why we're talking about it later but it was a it's a fairly famous building you see in the skyline of chicago it has a unique kind of faceted sliced roof that's that's uh diamond shape and uh it did go up for sale for about 132 million dollars so it's now called the give me five podcast uh building and entertainment center it is in fact you you hear it first here <laughs> we're also moving the show to chicago to into our new building to make ends meet we also live there now <laughs> we better and and actually most of the movie was shot in toronto yes all the suburb shots were in, were in toronto oh that's funny um but it is you know the the city's shots is a little bit of a level there so a uh, synopsis of this movie. A babysitter must battle her way through the big city after being stranded there with the kids she is looking after. I already told you my initial thoughts. Uh, what about you guys? Well, uh, real quick, <laughs> interestingly enough, that was not the original plan for this movie. Huh. What what would you what would you say if I told you that the original script and original layout of the plan for this movie involved a heist? This was originally supposed to be a heist movie. With so the baby with the kid. Wait, so uh, they were going to be involved in a heist, or Elizabeth yes. Shue was on deliberately. There, there was originally a heist element. Um, it was said that the uh, the first draft was pretty much what you saw. After it turned, after that, it turned into this very complicated Ocean's Eleven heist film. Uh, that was the script uh, Linda and Deborah read that their unpaid intern, Stacy Schur, who is now a big deal, she got it to them. They were pretty quickly were not, they pretty quickly said when they got that script, we're not doing all this crazy high stuff. It's way too expensive. <laughs> and so it just became a series of adventures. But yes, originally there was, there was a heist element involved with this movie. I would love to have seen that as the sequel. Like, mm-hmm. there's got to be some way, because that would be great, because this movie did well enough to warrant a sequel, which didn't happen. Uh, even now, you know, they've got Disney Plus and stuff like that. Elizabeth Shue still looks great. Have her as, like, a parent. And, you know, the next, I mean, her kids have this happen. That'd be, I would watch it. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Absolutely. I was, God, I remember it. And, and it all came back when I when I just started watching the uh, the, the very first scene. Um, I was in love with Elizabeth Shue after this, you know, after I saw this movie, I was like, oh my God. And, and oddly enough, another name that I forgot was Phoebe Cates. And I know a lot of people were in love with, with, uh, Phoebe after Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but Phoebe Cates was another one that they were, that they were pursuing and she screen tested for Chris as well. Well, I'll say that I'm not going to say much about Phoebe Cates and her red bathing suit, but I will say that when our pool got finished, I did try to convince my wife to buy a red bathing suit. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, why? Uh, and you're like, no reason. <laughs> no, she knew why. <laughs> she, and she was, you know, she was like, uh, 
No. <laughs> in, the, in the only way she can. Anyway, let's, uh, so your initial thoughts that you loved Elizabeth Shue. Omar, oh, initial I, thoughts. I, I totally did. Um, I, I mean, I kind of remember seeing this movie as a kid. It was a long time ago, but it, this movie for, for kid me just landed in that sweet spot. It was entertaining enough. It kept moving at a fast enough clip. Um, it was ridiculous without being completely unbelievable. Um, and you know, kid, Lo I, I mean, I didn't look too deep into it when I rewatched it recently, but kid logic kind of followed. So it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too complicated. It wasn't, wasn't too outlandish. It, it, you know, it didn't get too crazy at points, even though it's like, Oh, well, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, mobster aspect. And I'm like, what? All right, whatever. They were just escaping from bad guys. And then Vin Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Omar, <laughs> what about you? Yeah, had you seen this before? Yes, I had. Um, you know, way back when, I didn't remember much of it, but I, I I'd seen it. I just I didn't remember all the details. Um, <clears throat> my initial thoughts were like oh, like one of the over like overall things that that hit me pretty quickly is. How like annoying and selfish most of the characters are. Like they're just so like Elizabeth Shoe is like trying to kind of do the right thing, and she's caught in this hard rock between a rock and a hard place, and and um, everyone around her just they just want to do their own thing. Even when the the early on in the movie when they get a flat tire, the the friend the buddy who comes along is just laughing. He's just laughing. He's just laughing his ass off, and she's trying not to, Maniacally. like, crash into other things on the highway, and they end up, like, in this, like, not an off-ramp, but they were end up, like, under a bridge, and he's just laughing his ass off, and they're, like, in a completely miserable situation, and he was just, like, such a dick, you know what I mean? And the little sister is so, like, mean, it, I was like, man, I don't remember these characters being such a-holes. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't think the little sister was mean. She wasn't, no. She, but she she had little. She was sadistic. She exactly in like a good way. In a good in a way. Like, yes. In a, you see someone fall down on the street, and it's hilarious. But you wait to see if they're okay before you laugh. Right. Like she was that. <laughs> right. But she still did make th some things complicated. You know, like she complicated the events a little bit. Um. But I, I, I also didn't remember how many different situations they got in. So I thought that was um, it was nice to like kind of see those again because there's so many like funny interesting things that happen to them. Um, one my speaking of like initial initial thought like as the movie was starting, I wonder that opening scene with uh, Elizabeth Shue like just kind of dancing and getting ready, huh? Yeah, lip syncing. Yeah, yeah, she's lip syncing to that um, to that like '50s song or '60s song. Oh, oh, the first thing I thought was, okay, here's another 80s movie with music from the 50s or early 60s. Yeah, but, I, I wrote that down, too, because right. we, we've talked about that. Right. And, uh, and Ad hominem. Right. And uh, the other one was, I, I, I thought of Risky Business. I wonder, was that like, was that was her dancing around like that the answer to Tom Cruise dancing around at the beginning of Risky Business with, uh, you know, the Bob Seger song? 
I don't know if it was a direct answer, but it was definitely something. Maybe an homage or something. Or, or like yeah, a... it's probably that, but it was definitely something that happened. Like I've I've heard other people talk about this. I've seen people. I, I, honestly, act... I think that was an '80s thing, though. It, it probably I, was. I don't think it was just these two movies. I think it happened in a lot of '80s. No, like you see a lot of movies where people like girls singing to a hairbrush yeah. or a mm-hmm. curling iron with sunglasses on. I mean, my friend that saw this movie, I, I very distinctly remember like pantomiming this with with her sisters. Right. Right. Okay, so, that's fair. That was just like the let's, first thing. Let's that... jump into the, the plot here because you actually kind of opened the door on that. Yes. So this movie introduces us to Chris Parker, who is Elizabeth Shue, and she is super excited because she has her anniversary date. And super adorable. With her boy. Yes, with her super boyfriend, Mike. Adorable. Just as an aside, a little personal story here. When I started watching this movie the other day, I, my, my remote control is screwed up for my TV, and it's got the little like screen on it that tells you what output it's on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started the movie, and... The music that was going along with it, because it was going through my receiver, was uh, Buffalo Stance by Nana Cherry. And it, the song had just started. And it's playing, and it's an 80s song. And my wife and my child were watching this with me. It is safe for kids, as Rob said. And I, was, and I believe she said something like, I don't remember this being the song. And then the movie starts, and Elizabeth Shue's clearly talking, and the song is still going. I'm like, I think I have it on the wrong output or input. <laughs> So it was actually some radio station in Orlando was playing Buffalo Stance, and it works really well, by the way. Really? Dancing and singing. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. It, like, almost lined up perfectly to where it what I mean, we went through the whole minute and a half sequence, with or three minute, whatever it was, without realizing it. But it is, in fact, uh, Then He Kissed Me by the Christelles from 1963. And then he kissed me. Is that why you put Buffalo Stance in the music game? That is absolutely true. And for those of you that don't know what the music cave is, um, a small consideration of $5 will help you find out. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend it. It's you fun. Get, you get a look into, uh, really, whoever wants to, uh, musical taste for that day on the chat room for the patrons. So anyway, she is excited. She is showing it by dancing. She has a date, uh, anniversary date. And uh, but he ends up canceling. Uh, he does because his sister is sick. And and instead of calling her on the phone to you. tell her that, he drove there. He drove there to tell her, in person. Yes. That he might be contagious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that that she's sick three inches from and your he's got to stay there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like what? And and the very first thing that you see about him. Is his uh, his freaking Camaro, uh, IROC, whatever the hell it is. It was a Camaro. I, th- I think it. I I think all the douchebags had the IROC Z28 in the 80s. Um, How but I wanted it, uh, one of those car. What's that? I wanted one of those cars so bad. Oh, I wanted one. I was eleven. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and he's got this. He's got this douchey license plate that says "So cool," and, and <laughs> oddly enough. Uh, that was actually his car, <laughs> and actually his personalized license plate. The 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 actors Bradley Whitford, Bradley who Whitford. plays who plays the douchebag. Um, that was actually his car. He got permission to use his car in the movie, and they allowed it. And that's his actual license plate. He is exactly the opposite of that in real life. He plays a douchebag in a lot of roles. Mo- for me, most uh, memorably in Billy Madison, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in I think other than Shooter McGavin, probably my favorite uh, Adam Sandler foil. Um, or villain, but I've actually talked to him a little bit at least on like Messenger. Super nice dude. Super. He's had a great career for starting off as this and apparently having that personality with where he would buy that car with that license plate. He's been a playwright. He's been, you know, he's been on things like West Wing. It's cra- it's just crazy. When he showed up at the door, I I, for, I I didn't when we saw this movie originally. Of course, I didn't know who he was, but I'm a monster West Wing fan. It's one of my all time favorite shows. So as soon as he, she opens the door and it was, it was, I'm like, oh my God, it's Bradley Whitford. Holy shit. Like, it's just, you know, like you don't, of course, hindsight being what it is, you know, you're like, oh my God, this guy has done all this amazing stuff. But it was, even though his character sucks, it was nice to see him in something, you know. And and I did see, I did see a story that at one point he was concerned about all of the douchebag roles he was taking. He was wondering if he was typecasting himself as a douchebag. Which you know he really wasn't interested in doing. After some some bum on the streets of New York recognized him and says, "Yeah, you're that guy who plays the douchebags," you know. Oh my god! Why are you a douchebag? And so he contacted his agent. And he's like, "Am I am I hurting my career by taking these roles?" And his agent basically told him, "You don't have a career to ruin." <laughs> he was like, "Oh, oh well, all right then." <laughs> wow, <laughs> that must have been early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was. Uh, Shortly after this movie, I believe. Nice. Oh, that's funny. so we. Uh, so she's of course upset in this movie. She Chris and she decides to call up her friend Brenda, and her mom is like, "Look, why don't you take this babysitting job for the Andersons, who's a, a wealthy family that um, lives in this in Chicago as well, because they have a party to do." Um, they then of course cut to the Andersons' place, and um, you're introduced to their two kids. Brad and Sarah. Yes. Um, so, go ahead. And and actually, the the Brad was played by Keith Coogan, but interestingly enough, him and Anthony Rapp, the guy who plays Daryl, I think it's Daryl. Daryl. The the redheaded friend. Um, they actually they actually auditioned for for the other roles, or th- there was a role switch involved. Where they were actually being the they they had switched roles and then when filming started they they switched the roles to the to what you actually saw in the movie. So I believe they actually auditioned for the opposite roles and then were switched once filming started. Hmm. I I like this introduction to the kids. I knew that there was something with Thor in this. Um, they show Sarah in her room, the the little girl, and she's surrounded with Thor stuff. A nice Walt Simonson, which is the artist drawing of Thor on the wall. He's yeah. He was, in, he was the artist that really took Thor from kind of a fringe character uh, to a much more popular character in the '80s. And a lot of the the Walt Simonson stuff is what ended up in the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might have actually created Groot. I might be wrong about that, but it's possible. And and that actually wasn't what they were where they were going with her initially, um, being that this was 1987. Her her initial fascination. They actually had two, from what I could find. Um, her initial fascination was He-Man and She-Ra. And I think they just couldn't, they just didn't like the way that it was going. They couldn't make it work. Um, there was also another iteration where she was a news junkie, and she was, like, fascinated by Dan Rather. And I'm not quite <laughs> sure how they were how they were going to make that work either. 
but they they eventually talked to Marvel and they they went through a couple of heroes, you know, uh, with like Spider Man and a couple of others. And Marvel finally said, "Here, we we've got this other one. Use Thor. Um, you know, you can have free reign, whatever it is you want to do with it." And yeah, Thor had and never they been just, really shown on right. any other iteration other than you know books, comics, etc. Uh, even the the Hulk versus the Thor thing wasn't out for another year. So at the right. time, Thor was like pretty obscure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless you were a comic fan, unless you were, there's not yeah. a lot of cross. There's not a lot of comics. I mean, I remember knowing who Thor was. I remember when I saw it. Like, I didn't. It wasn't like a mystery, but I didn't realize that it was that obscure. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, we. I mean, a lot of times we ran into these things in like toy form, or mm-hmm. you know, a sticker or something like that, and you kind of figure it out. But um, it was definitely more obscure to the the movie, the general movie going crowd. Um, Brad, the, the brother has a crush on the cute babysitter. So he does cancel his plans with, uh, his buddy, Daryl Cooper Smith, who's basically the, uh, the, the douchey sex obsessed, the annoying character. So annoying. Wow. He she decides to go babysit and then she gets a call from her buddy, Brenda, Brenda, that Brenda has run away from home very quickly out, out of nowhere and is at a bus station in the city of Chicago and she's in trouble. So, well, she she was talking uh, earlier in the film about having problems with her, I guess, her stepmother or whatever, and that she was going to put Drano in her drink or some shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Casual murder in these 80s movies. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As well as slurs, uh, because yet another movie with a, with a homophobic slur. I didn't even hear that one. I actually did miss that. That's right. Early, it was, very early on when they introduced. The it was two. right here at the scene where we met Sarah. Yeah. The, he he picked up the picture of Thor and he told her that Thor was a homo. And she's like, "You take it back!" And they're like, "She's running after him." And she gets her revenge you in take a really back cool what way. What you said about Thor. Do you remember how she got her <laughs> revenge on him? Yep. Mm-mm. The babysitter. Because Chris was standing in the hallway. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And he yes. had his back to her. And <laughs> she he didn't know she was there. And he's like, tell her, tell, say you're sorry, or I'll tell her, Chris, about all the love poems you wrote about her. And she was standing <laughs> behind him. And he's like, all right, all right, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he turns around and she's right there. <laughs> I like that girl. Uh, she decides she has to go save her friend, but she is, of course, babysitting. So she has to, so she's like, I'm going to go by myself because, of course, the brother's there. He's old enough, but they convince her to bring basically the brother, his friend, and the sister to Chicago with her. And on the way, as Omar mentioned earlier, they pop a tire and maniacal laughter ensues. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and... is, to me, good. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, this is, to me, where when they have the tow truck driver show up that a lot of times in 80s movies, or really in any movie, they always do the ugly equals scary kind of thing. Um. You know, he's they'll make like someone show up and he's like shady and whatever, but he turns out to be like good hearted. Right. Uh, if not Follow, still followed a little up by bit the realization shady. that all all uh, ugly people are not bad. Right. Yeah. He's like a hook for a hand. It's like he's like Yeah, totally yeah it's, it's exact it's exactly that urban legend. You know, the the scary guy running out with a hook for a hand. <laughs> or the scary guy running out that and he was really trying to tell the person that they had someone hiding in the back of their car. Right. And and she actually was telling that story to the little girl right before they blew the tire about the guy with the hook for hand right. that was killing people. Gonna 
cook your face or whatever you said. Yeah, we we watched it as I said. We watched this kid with my this movie with my kid, and he was like, "Why don't they call from a cell phone?" We had to explain that that wasn't a thing. <laughs> That's funny. Back then, I mean, cell phones did exist, but they were much larger and had you'd had to like suction cup a antenna to your car window and yeah, it was those those car phones. Yeah. yeah. Significantly different. Uh, the truck drivers or the the uh, tow truck driver. His name is Handsome John Pruitt, and Pruitt. he. Yep. And we we will see him later, but he gets a phone call while he is towing the truck, and all the kids are kind of piled in the tow truck, or while he's towing the station wagon, and all the kids. Well, are and, in the and tow truck. he actually has already already established that he's a nice guy because they don't have any money to pay for the tire that they pop gonna cost him about 50 bucks and he's already offered to pay for it he's like look i can't leave you kids stranded out here um you know and and he's like i'll pay for the tire and she's like oh i can't let you do that that wouldn't be right and he's like and leaving you here in the middle of the interstate would be right no i can't do that so mm-hmm. he he picks him up and tows him away and that's when he gets that phone call the he gets a phone call that his wife is basically cheating on him and he rushes over there with the kids still in the car, with the tr- with the station wagon still attached. <laughs> and you hear, like, bullet shots in the house. You see, like, the dude get thrown out of the window and, like, all sorts of fighting sounds. And and he shoots uh, out their windshield. Accident. <laughs> yeah, he shoots out their, their windshield. Um, so the kids escape, and they go and hide in a Cadillac that is... Uh, like I guess it belongs to the dude that's sleeping with the other guy's wife, right? Which, based on the looks of the tow truck driver, I wonder what the wife could possibly look like. Oh, you saw her when you, you, yeah, you actually saw her. She was struggling with him with the gun. So uh, she was standing there in her bra. Kill him or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is true. Uh, the kids hide in this Cadillac. The Cadillac then quickly gets boot uh, boosted. Uh huh. Um, one person on this podcast actually is under understands that situation very well. Well, <laughs> when you walk it outside, wasn't me. when you walk outside your house in a 1982 Cadillac Seville Deville is missing. <laughs> yeah, you don't forget that. I actually remember looking around for it. Like I went into the garage and looked in to see if it was there. This was my. <laughs> this is the first day of senior year of high school. And I go to the garage to see that it's look if it's there, and it wasn't. So then I go back outside, and then it's not there. And then I go back to the garage as if I I somehow missed a two ton Cadillac, <laughs> like I just didn't see it, like by accident. Mm. Yeah, that was uh that was the first day of. Oh, by the way, that car was re- it was recovered a few days later. It had been stolen by a dude who broke out of jail, and then he went and robbed a bank with it. Oh wow. And then the back seat of the car, you know, you know, like in movies when they, when there's like a bank robbery and they put that like exploding ink thing, that's real. (laughs) It was red dye. (laughs) I take it the ink exploded all over your car. All over the inside of the car. So for the next year plus I drove that car around with just, because that ink stains, it doesn't come out. So like all the back seat of the car was just like, there was like ink. (laughs) Like the ink stains from an exploding ink packet. Did they ever, did they catch the guy? Yes. Like, they caught. Oh, so they actually did catch him. He, he he robbed a bank. He drove it up to Palm from Boca to Palm Beach. Robbed a bank. You know, blew up an ink pack. Repainted the inside of the car, and then he was captured. 
and then and then they called my father to go get it and they charged my father money to get it out of impound wow <laughs> he was angry <laughs> he was really I, I angry can imagine. yeah anyway back to, okay back well, to the movies <laughs> yeah that also seems like a giant adventure uh and and this is where we see another another interesting license plate for you uh music nerds did you catch the license plate on the on the cadillac that was stolen no no you did you did actually see it i believe as they were pulling into the chop shop the license plate was F3B764. F3B. You know the significance of that? I don't. I saw something about well, it online. It's February 3rd. If you write out F3B, it looks like February with a, you know, backwards E. 764. So February 7th, Seven. 1964 was the day the Beatles arrived in the United States. That's what it was. 13-year-old girls screamed so loud that the microphones couldn't pick it up. <laughs> okay, so they end up getting brought back to this chop shop. The chop shop looked exactly like a chop shop in the Spider-Man video game. The racks and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also another thing that my son noticed. He's like, oh, it's like that game you play. Yeah. I'm so pr- I'm so proud. Uh. And basically, the whole deal is is the dude that stole the car, his boss, who's like the middleman in this giant car theft ring, is pissed off that they brought kids back to the base. Well, and see, here's what I don't get. Because he's like, the, the guy who stole the car seems like a decent guy. And he's like, look, guys, you know, once, once we uh, drop this car off, I'll take you wherever. And I'm like, what in the hell makes you think that your boss is going to be at all happy with you, with you bringing a bunch of kids to a site of an illegal chop shop. I thought that too. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, what? why would you think that would be a good idea? But he wasn't a bad yeah, dude no. though. The character, he wasn't a bad guy. Like he, no, I mean, he, he robbed wasn't. the bank, but he wasn't a, I mean, a car, he stole a car, but he wasn't like sinister to the, to the, to the right. kids. Right, and he even tried to help him yeah. out. But it's like, you could have helped him out by, I don't know, not taking him to your secret hideout. <laughs> Drop him off outside. <laughs> Of the secret hunt. Just run, kids, run. So they get put up in the office. They escape. And just as another little movie thing. Yeah, this is another little movie thing. There there would be a plausible story point if the criminals would just be like, yeah, let's just let those kids go. They're not really going to do anything about us. They don't know what they saw. But one of the kids decided to steal a Playboy, which had some important uh, criminal information on it. So it did, of course, mean that the criminals had to continue pursuing the kids, furthering their adventures. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And and so they're escaping from this from this uh, chop shop or whatever with the Playboy that we'll find out a little bit later has a connection to the main character. Um, but the uh, they're running down these uh these dirty sodden streets. <laughs> That as they were filming, they actually had to post guards so that the city of Toronto wouldn't come by and clean up the trash. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. That's so Canadian. That's so Canadian. <laughs> it really is. Because they I were be surprised they were if they were like, please keep the moose out of the shot. <laughs> yes. They were far too efficient in cleaning up the trash 
So it, at one point, they actually had to go dumpster diving to get trash to spread around the street to make it look a little bit more Chicago-y because they were actually filming in Toronto. That's really funny. Oh, we wouldn't want the kids to trip, eh? <laughs> Sorry exactly. about the trash. No, we put it there. Uh, okay, so they, they run and they end up in a blues club. And there's a lot of story here, a lot of stories behind this. Um, yeah. They run to the blues club and they end up performing. Um, on stage and rob you actually know the know the story so i'll let you jump in here yeah the the this this entire scene actually was not in the original draft of the movie this was something that was told to the director chris columbus he's like because the, and that was one of the reasons why it was set in chicago was because they wanted to access the blue scene and the the producer whoever was was driving the ship was like, hey, you know, I want them to get up on stage and sing this blues number, um, make it happen. And didn't give him any outline, no no way of... And the guy's like, Chris Columbus is like, how the hell am I going to make that happen? So a few weeks into the into the filming, you know, the guy comes back to him and he's like, he's like, so how's the scene coming? And he's like, look, it's not. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how how that's going to happen. And, and, you know, he says, figure it out. And... And so he's like, I, I don't know how we're going to make this happen. And the guy's, the guy's like, look, it's a house rule. Nobody gets out unless they sing. And that's exactly what they used. <laughs> they walk into the club. And as they're trying to leave, the guy on, you know, they kind of wander it. They went in through a back door. So they ended up on the stage of this blues club. And the guy on stage playing the guitar is like, nobody leaves without singing the blues. So they made them sing a blues song before they would let them go. And this was actually one of um one of Elizabeth Shue's favorite scenes that she's that she's that she had like ever done. Um she had such a good time with it. And I actually I actually posted the music or the the song from this movie in in the music cave the other day. Yeah. The musician that's playing with them is Albert Collins. He is one of the kings of Chicago blues. I don't know if that's his actual nickname, but mm-hmm. um, when I first got when I first started getting into blues, it's not like a high school student back in 1990 whatever could go on the internet and find about out about the blues. So I kind of got a compilation album, and just Albert Collins was one of the musicians that I totally picked up on. So it was really actually cool because I'd never seen him because he died soon thereafter. Actually, um, I'd never seen his performing so it was really neat to see him in that sequence mm-hmm. yeah that was one of my favorite scenes too because albert collins is he's like a classic blues guy and, and you know i've been listening to that stuff for years as well like with you greg so it, yeah, i agree with you it was very very cool to see that and i and like if you listen if you kind of watch that scene and forget that you're you know watching adventures and babysitting with elizabeth shoe and a bunch of kids you know and she's the song that she does is she's just telling the story about their day, but if you listen to the band, like they're awesome. Yes, like the band is yeah. ridiculous. Like they're so they're tight and on tight. it, you know. Like it's because it's a real blues band that's in there. It's great. It was it's like such a cool scene. I love that. So they're they they are able to leave the club. The criminals do kind of catch up to them, and they're stalled a little bit. But but then the criminals they, are stopped uh, because nobody gets out without singing the blues. and then they they cut to a sequence which rob sort of hinted at earlier where brad the brother is finally telling uh chris the the babysitter how he feels about her and that her boyfriend is not good enough for 
It's such an awkward but sweet scene. I really mm-hmm. like there's a lot of cool stuff in this movie, a lot of fun stuff. That's like this heartfelt and you know that you've like I've had that conversation with people. Like right. And people that maybe I liked and maybe mm-hmm. were a little older than me or even people that were my age but just weren't that didn't think me about that think about me in that way. And you have this conversation like that dude you're pining over sucks. Yeah. And so, this conversation actually happened twice. In the it happened, movie or? It happened once in the movie, and it happened once at lunch b- between Chris Coogan and Elizabeth Shue. Because really? he actually tried to ask her out. And she, huh. he said she actually laughed at him just like Chris does in the movie. And, you know, it, it, the, the, the sudden, like, unbelievable... Uh, belt of laugh not not like laughing hysterically but the huh, i mean no I, no i just don't see like you're that shocked way, you know? it's, it's like a shock yeah. not no, not knowing how to respond laughter and you kind of laugh right. at the fact that you don't know how to say yeah right so and he said he was absolutely heartbroken and he had to live through it twice oh my gosh that's crazy he really actually good for him you know what go for it buddy so this happens uh there's a, a prostitute who the 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 friend daryl is like you won't believe what this girl this guy this girl will do for twenty dollars and they also find it yeah and she's like haggard looking haggardish looking and there's a little bit of conversation about age and she's like oh i'm I'm about the same age and she's like i'm a i ran away from home and they're like oh shit brenda (laughs) like we gotta go Mm -hmm. Uh, we gotta go i i before like there's a lot of little cutaway sequences of brenda who is at a bus stop and a lot of funny things happen with her. Now, this is not, I'm not going to go each time we cut back to her, but let's see. She um, loses her glasses, which they do the Scooby Doo thing where you can't see anything at all when you lose mm-hmm. glasses, to the point of where she talks about she's found a kitten, which is really a giant sewer rat. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what else? There's a hot dog sequence. You want to play with the it wasn't in the movie, and the guy who actually wrote it because they needed more time, I guess, was mortified that they actually used the scene. It it does not fit tonally with the rest of the movie, but it did make me laugh. Where she tries to get a hot dog. What was the line? You'll probably remember it better than me. It. She's like he he said, um, "I'll I'll just sign it over. I'll just slip it over to you." And he's like, "You slip me the money, and I'll slip you the wiener." It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <was> like what? <laughs> she tries to write him a check for it. Yeah. <clears throat> no, not even write him a check. She wanted to sign, sign over it over check. to him yeah. because that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's like, but it's good. It's a good check. It's like no money, no wiener. Because <laughs> yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna push along here because we are running low on time. Uh, the kids are the kids make their way to an L train. They now they haven't gotten to their friend yet. Of course, they make their way to the L train. Um, they find themselves in the middle of a random gang fight that seems to break out in the car with like a million people. Yeah, uh, and actually, and one of the gang members was Anthony Rapp's brother. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's great. Uh, this is the point of the scene. Well, there's a lot of points of the scene, but it does push the story along because it gets him to the hospital. But it also is a point where the the gang members are like, you know, don't don't fool with the lords of hell, and she's all like, don't fool with the babysitter. And of course, um, Brad also sticks up for her at this point, showing that he's you know his balls are dropping, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But in the point, in the moment, uh, he does get stabbed in the foot. So that's how they. Well, it course, grazes his foot. Yeah. So he goes to the hospital. There is a funny little sequence 
where they're at the university hospital. Funny little sequence with uh, the the doctor. I mean, there was something about either Indian or Pakistani doctors and scientists in 80s movies that makes me laugh every time. And I know it's and, not like politically correct anymore, but it's still funny. Yeah. Sorry. And and incidentally, this movie does have a body count of one. One person died in the movie, and it was totally off screen, and it was in this scene. Yep. So the guy with the knife wound, who he mistook for the for uh, Brad, when they asked about Brad, he's like, "Oh, your friend with the knife wound. I'm sorry, he's dead." <laughs> they're like, "Oh my god!" There was two people Brad's brought dead. into the hospital that night with knife wounds. Uh, yep. This is also where the si- where like we were talking about the sister being kind of dark, but kind of whatever. Like if you notice when she's on the during the gang war, she's all like excited and hyped up, like I'm gonna see people die. And then when they go to the hospital, she runs and hugs her brother, like, "Oh my god, I thought you were gonna I thought die." You were dead. It was just a kind of a really sweet kind of little turnaround. Mm-hmm. Because they are at the university hospital, they go to the University of Chicago, or they happen through the University of Chicago, Chicago, and they end up at a house party at a college. Everyone, uh, some people think that. Uh, Chris is a Playboy centerfold because Playboy has to have a major part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why and she actually did pose for the for the pictures, but she did not take her clothes off. But she she did a fake magazine with her on the cover and as the centerfold. I was going to ask uh, that. just so that it would look like because they show it and it really does look like like her. So I I was I actually never I never I was because I had never seen this. I was so concerned as they were like showing the opening of the centerfold because I'm sitting there with my eight year old. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, is he, is he about to see boobs? <laughs> nope. The only thing you see is a back shot. Yeah. <laughs> I was very concerned. I had, I was like, uh, I was getting but ready to pause. Also, interestingly enough, at this party, um, many of, or several of the, of the main actors actually doubled as extras. So they were out there dancing on the floor and stuff in, in costumes and stuff so that you wouldn't recognize. Nice. Uh, at this party, they meet really a main character that, is you has know, almost no screen shows time. up late yeah and he's a uh, really nice dude his name is uh what is it uh dan and he realizes basically at some point during all this they do they do realize that their car is done but he, they do have to pay the money because because of the broken window the guy couldn't afford to pay for the the tire yeah pruitt helped get him out of the hospital and he pays for the window and, because uh, he was there too yeah and he said like, i broke the windshield so i paid for that but he's gonna make you pay for the tire so that would be 50 bucks. They don't have it. So this guy, Dan, goes around the party, gets $45, and decide, and brings them to uh, the the car repair the place. The garage. Yep. yep. Dawson's. Um, he's super nice. After he drops them off, she's like, really, you know, thank you for the money. How can I get in touch with you? And he just kind of like, no, I don't need the money back, and, like, leaves. And there is a, a rule here if um, it was broken – if Elizabeth Shue is going to offer you her phone number or would like to get in touch with you, you give her your phone number. You take that shit yeah. or you give your number. That is if she wants to rule. call you, you let it happen. <laughs> yeah, that even now. That's rule I believe 27 for the Give Me 5 podcast. If Elizabeth Shue wants your phone number, you give it to her. Absolutely. I'm game. No complaints on my end. Uh so we we did mention there is a a little bit of a gag, Rob, that you mentioned earlier, what the with the truck driver. Oh, yeah the uh, the truck driver as there as he's racing to his house when his wife is cheating on him, he 
he pulls up into the yard and actually bumps a lawn jockey, like one of those plastic lawn jockeys that's out in the yard. And that actually became a running gag in Chris Columbus movies because he used it again in Home Alone and then again in Home Alone 2. So that was it was the thing that uh, that happened in several of his movies. I like that. That's so cool. Um, so they do meet Dawson, who wants his money. He is finally revealed, and it is Vincent D'Onofrio. Long blonde hair. A very svelte Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Rippling muscles, holding a hammer, wearing red and blue, and he looks like Thor. He does. I loved, loved Sarah's reaction. She immediately fell to one knee and put the hammer on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, It's just a great scene. It's, it really is the payoff for the, the Thor stuff. And she, you know, he still wants his money. There's a little bit of conversation. That's not very superhero-like. But she offers up her Thor hat because he doesn't seem to have one. And that kind of melts his heart a little bit. So he accepts the $45, which is a fucking bargain for tires, by the way. Just saying. Well, especially well, that, this was also 1980. So exactly. That's, it, it was $50 bucks was a lot more than, than it is now. For sure. Yeah, but come on. It was an emergency repair on a Friday night. I, I would say it'd be... Well, th- we don't know that they got a brand new tire either. That's true. That is true. Could have just been pulling the nail out and patching. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of things in this, like also getting going into the emergency room and getting a stitch and getting out uh, without it taking well past 1 a.m. as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, they do that. Uh, he... He does end up, the little girl melts his heart with the hat thing. So they're allowed to leave. And he actually wasn't in the movie initially either. He just showed up one day and the guy that was cast initially was just gone. And nobody knows why. Interesting. They think it might have had something to do with his success in Full Metal Jacket. Really? Uh, oh, so he had already been in Full Metal Jacket. Well, this, He had that already was... been in Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket came out this summer, though. Because it's one of the movies I considered us watching which actually it's like comes out like next week if i remember correctly right but it had already been filmed oh gotcha and it was a big deal because it was yeah um, stanley kubrick yeah and and this is also where you know the 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 original script uh varied a little bit from what actually ended up happening because this was also a scene where she was supposed to meet dan rather um this was there was also an iteration of the script where she was obsessed with the chicago bears and they actually ended up at the the what is it soldier field yeah um but ultimately this is this is what they ended up with and i actually like this idea better than any of the other ideas i had yeah the they decide to leave um little kind of an aside part here which kind of solidifies the fact that mike is a douche canoe um the kids find the fancy restaurant that where Mike was um, supposed to take Chris for their anniversary. They find this because of his um, douche mobile out there. The very iconic license plate, so cool, is actually parked outside the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they like, go into the restaurant. This is such a big 80s movie thing. The art, the making a scene at the fancy restaurant mm-hmm. <laughs> sequence. They do, yeah. Kids go in. I would consider that an 80s movie trope, would you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely. 
pretty much up through some of the early 90s as well mm -hmm. you know the kids are in there and like the saying stuff loud like talking about cheating or talking about this really loud so the rest of the patrons have to like drop their forks and stuff um at this point you find out that he basically ditched her because he was trying to meet a girl that that would put out that was a big mm -hmm. deal back then yeah um the little girl i love the fact that she wanders off and steals an eclair which is adorable and then goes to like a toy store, um, and uh, uh, Mike gets his ass kicked literally, like gets kicked into someone else's table. Mm -hmm. I've never been in a restaurant where that type of scene happens. I've been in restaurants where people got engaged, but I've never been to one where. where and you're like, like an I actual. Wanna, I want to see that happen. I want someone to get kicked onto my table. I want Land drama. <laughs> some some random cheating asshole kicked into my shrimp scampi. Come on. I'd pay extra. But I'm weird. So everyone knows that. Anyway, uh, Sarah does sneak off to a toy store. That's kind of an aside. Just basically separates her from the rest of the group. The criminals find them. They are, find her. And she runs into the building, which is... When they kept on saying my parents' building, did they, were they insinuating that her parents owned that skyscraper? No, that... I think it was just where no. they worked. Yeah. <clears throat> so they were having a like a holiday kind of party. At the Associate Center? The that Crane Communications called? Building. No, no, no. Different. What it was called in the '80s. That's what it's called now. Uh, the... It's not called that anymore. That was not, I think it got bought and changed in. Well, and now it's the Give Me Five Podcast Building. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh. They basically there's, you know, kind of chase throughout the building. The criminals catch up with them. There's a thing where they tie the criminals, one of the criminals' feet together with like a cord. The little girl ends up outside of the building, which is, as we've said, very kind of a famous facade with like a slanted window. Um, you know, there's it's a lot of stuff going on at the same time at this point. But at the end of the day, the um, they have to rescue the little girl from outside of the building, right? And they event and they eventually get caught in like some corridor. And uh, what's the dude's name? The original car thief. He Joe. Uh, Joe. Oh, he yeah. uh, knocks the boss out, basically. So he was a good guy after all. Um. Oh, and the Playboy gets given back to the criminals. Yes. So. Uh, that really just leaves the one last little thing un undone here, and that is. Oh, the also the one guy gets locked outside of the building, which is a little bit of a big deal. And because... at the time of the filming, it was called the Associate Center, by the way. Okay. And nice. this this scene where the little girl is actually running to the building actually led to a breakthrough in the narrative for the ending of the movie, um, because they filmed the scene and accidentally forgot one of the props. So they have this scene of her running down the street in her hat, her cape, and everything like that. But she doesn't have her backpack. Mm. And then she's supposed to have it later. And they're like, oh, Christ, it's we we didn't shoot that scene with it. We have to go reshoot that scene. And the director was like, no, that actually that's perfect. That's why that's how the guy finds her, because she leaves her skate in his car. Yep. It's great. Interesting. It was a mistake. It was a mistake that actually led to a change in the narrative that made more sense. Okay. 
a happy accident. That's, it's really interesting because you mentioned earlier that, that was um, Chris Columbus's first movie, and those kind of mistakes and having to zig and zag and ma- and fix things mm-hmm. because of a mistake can occasionally lead to greatness. And even you know, like budgetary constraints can lead to things like Jaws or Star Wars mm-hmm. or Reservoir um, Dogs. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting, and you wonder if it if it was a thirty million dollar movie that was made now, they would have been like, "Oh, we'll just put CG in it, and let's keep going. Mm. We'll just put the backpack back in," you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, little girl. Uh, basically, all they have to do right now is get back to the house before the parents do, because they could still get grounded, even though they defeated the mob and, and a bunch of other people. <laughs> And a gang and other things. And they're honorary so they race Chicago home. bluesmen. Yeah, and a bunch of Chicago bluesmen. Uh, they rush home, drive past the, f- the family. The family's like, what are these crazy people out on the road? Um, get back to the house, clean up some noodles, which is kind of something we didn't talk about. Um, kids go upstairs. There's a little sweet conversation between uh, Brad and Chris, which I liked. About when I see you at school the next day kind of thing. Are you going to pretend that you can pretend you don't know me because I embarrassed myself and said I love you and all that stuff? And she's like, "Nah, you're one of my friends. I don't embarrass. I don't ignore my friends." So that was kind of cool. That was a little uh, bit of a Breakfast Club moment. It was. It was. And you just know they're going to hook up someday. It's when he's, you know, when he gets a little bit of hair on his, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as she's leaving, she runs into the college guy. And Rob, you kind of hinted at this, so take it away. Yeah, well, the the guy shows up, and and Chris is like, well, how, you know, kind of like, how did you know where I was? Blah 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 blah. Like, are you stalking me, kind of thing? And that's when he pulls out the skate and says, well, the little girl left her skate in my in my car, and I figured she'd want it back, and it had the address on it. And she's like, oh. And she initially thought that he showed up for the fifty bucks, and he's like, no, I don't want. And, you know, there's this kind of, like, little cute, awkward moment between the two of them. You can tell that she's kind of interested, and he's definitely interested. I mean, she's Elizabeth Shue. Why would he not be? Um, And, you know, the kids are watching from the window, and the little girl screams out, Kiss him already! And they kind of look up and laugh, and then everybody kind of laughs, and the kids go back inside, and Brad gives this longing look from the window as he closes the window and gives them their privacy. Um, But that's kind of how it ends. There is an after credit scene. There is. And I was wondering, because this is honestly the first movie that I can remember that I remember seeing an end credit scene. Mm-hmm. That's actually, that'd be really something interesting to look up and see like where they started. It started in 1966 with the silencers. Oh, so you did look it up. <laughs> I'm on it. Yeah, nice. it was um, wow. the silencers. I was going to say we would first... do it for a patron episode, but. Oh, well, you know, should I not go into it? We'll... There were a couple in the 60s. There were three movies in the 60s that used uh, post-credit scenes. And, you know, this is this is just on the information that I found on a quick search. Uh, there were a couple in the 70s. Um, it looks like here they've got listed five movies in the 70s that used post-credit scenes. And then it really took off in the 80s. There were a bunch of movies in the 80s that used post-credit scenes. The actor that played Dan, um, he was in the show Scandal most recently. As Charlie, and he was also the husband in Father of the Bride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, he's also. And I Batman. knew I knew him no, from somewhere. No, I'm sorry. He's actually Superman too. On all of the the uh, animated DC things, he plays. He's the voice of Superman, which I thought was interesting. Oh, nice. So that is Adventures in Babysitting. I just want to talk about the uh, box office. This movie had a budget of seven million dollars. It made thirty-four million three hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars, and uh, four hundred seventy-five at the uh, box office. So it did pretty well. Um, it actually debuted at number nine the week it came weird. out. Okay, which is weird to me. Well, when you consider what else was still out, I mean, it's not surprising. Um, Predator was actually in its fourth week and was still at number seven. Um, but Dragnet was at the number one spot, uh, which was in its second week. Spaceballs was in its second week, and that was in the number two spot. Um, but Interspace also debuted higher than this. Interspace de- debuted at number three. That came out this week as well. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 was still at number four. Witches of Eastwick was at number five. The Untouchables was at number six. Uh, like I said, Predator was seven. Roxanne was at number eight. Holy and then crap. Adventures in Babysitting was number nine. Mm-hmm. What a ridiculous week. Wow. Uh, Music-wise... I've got number 10 was Funky Town. Number nine was Point of No Return from Expose. Number eight was Just to See Her from Smokey Robinson. Seven was Don't Disturb This Groove by The System. Six was In Too Deep by Genesis. Five was Songbird by Kenny G. Four was Head to Toe by Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. Three was Shakedown from Beverly Hills Cop 2 by Bob Seger. Two was Alone by Heart. And number one was Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. The uh, the news, I did shift out the news here to actually the news of the day that this movie came out. It's weird because it's a lot of news that led to things like much bigger things later. So one of which was um, there had been riots and democratic uh, protests in South Korea at the time because they had a military government. And it led to them to finally agree to actually hold a presidential election, which, of course, has led to South Korea becoming a world power in a way. Um, That was all the stuff in Seoul. And a few years later, um, the Olympics were in Seoul. Right? Was it? Was that before or after? When were the Seoul Olympics? Was that? That was later. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? So it might have actually been. Oh yeah, was Seoul it? was Seoul was like 80. in the '90s or 2000s, wasn't yeah. it? I think Seoul might have been. Was it '88? I don't know. Either way, um, the some of the early ideas between the uh, United States and Soviet Union um, missile cuts started happening. If you actually want to see some of that stuff, you should go to the Ronald Reagan Museum out in like California. Like the Salt Tree. Uh. I believe so. This is it didn't have a name yet. It oh. was just the, the initial framework. Soul was eighty eight, by the way. Okay. Yeah, it was like the initial framework. Um if you actually go to the Reagan Museum, you can actually see a decommissioned Russian nuclear warhead as a result of that. Um a lot of uh, turmoil in Haiti, which of course led to much more turmoil later on. So it's a lot of things that led to stuff later on. Um I really like looking at some of these old newspaper things because Me too. When you look back at history, you see the very finite things like, oh, this happened on this date. But then you forget that there's rumblings mm-hmm. before. Um, so those are the kind of the, the big ones. Um, oh, and also, I believe Oliver North was, um, yep. was the first time that. he actually gave some of his uh, some. No, he didn't give testimony yet, but he gave over his documents that led to him giving testimony with Iran Contra. Yeah. That was crazy. So kind of some interesting early news that led to some very famous moments. I just remember the Iran-Contra affair as 
me going, what are they talking about with that video game? <laughs> Contra. That's, funny. That's actually probably what all of us did. Uh, did you know that Keith, who Keith Coogan actually is? The guy, the actor Keith Coogan that we talked about? Who, who He's he the was grandson that? of the actor that played Uncle Fester. Really? No kidding. Yeah. And oh, also, if you, the, you know the movie The Kid with Charlie Chaplin? Yeah. Uh, Keith mm-hmm. Coogan's grandfather was the kid. No kidding. That's yeah. so funny. Nice. Yeah. And also, Keith Coogan was in uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, so he apparently has a thing with babysitters. He has a thing for babysitters. I wonder if he, yeah. if he tried to date Christina Applegate. <laughs> we should watch that movie some point, too. I actually did see that one in the theater. That's a great uh, one. Question of the week. It's time. It is time. Okay. And uh, this time, the question of the week, we had a couple ones. You know, best babysitter movie, which we may have done before, but question I came up with, and this is something that I always thought about when I was even a kid. Like, what are the best movies that are that involve the quote-unquote kids being off on their own? Kids doing things that are really not safe, and the adults don't seem to be there, which used to always freak me out as a kid. I thought I had my list situated, and then there were a couple that I had forgotten about, and I was like, oh, crap, that's right. All right, well, let me rearrange yeah. my list. I think list. We've, we've all, like... Yeah, these are all very fun lists, and they don't ever stick. You know, like, it's not like we're ever going to get arrested for having the wrong list. Although, uh, Rob has threatened to stab people. I, for, I uh, will, in fact. Uh, for a list. So, what what I'm going to do for this is um, you can, after each list, I would like you to give a knife rating for number of stabbings. A list that you, that you can do one is, <laughs> okay, you're okay with it. Up to three, which is three stabbings if you are angry at the person on the list. Okay. I like it. I like well, it. Well, I'm only going to be angry when we get to the higher numbers. That's fine. But if, if, the, if, if someone lets you down, I want, to let, I want you to let me know that you're either going to stab them two or three times. Or okay. one. One is you're fine with it, but you just want to stab someone. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I will go first. Three stabbings. Oh, wait. What? <laughs> no, no, folks, that was not a audio error. He just wants to stab someone. I'm going to stab uh, Greg a whole lot. Number five, just just as a test, number five is Goonies. Three stabbings. There we go. See, okay, that's what totally I was three for. stabbings for that one. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, number five for me is actually It, the uh, most recent, well, It Part One. Okay. Is the kids on their own uh, doing things that kids should not do? Not a kids movie, though. I can I can buy that. That's that. Uh, yeah, I'll let you go with one stabbing or no stabbings. Okay. Uh, number four, Home Alone. Okay. No okay. stabbings. All right. Number no three, stabby stab. Number three. This is my my hipster movie that I'm throwing in there. The Summer of '84. Oh, I don't mm. know. Kids, that you have not seen that movie, Omar. It's fantastic. Summer. Of no stabbings because I forgot that movie. That's a good one. Uh, summer of 84 that is kids stopping a murderous police officer it's i'm sure it's available on some streaming service it's fantastic uh number two lost boys kids stopping no stabbing excellent and number one out of fear for my life the kids fighting gangsters and finding treasure no the goonies there you go perfect excellent you, sir, had, had I said number one, Flight of the Navigator, he would actually be kicking <laughs> in my door. Flight of the Navigator. 
I would already be at your house, kicking in a door with a knife in each hand, going, you mother... (laughs) And one between his teeth. So, Omar, just be aware. You are not being coerced for the number two and number one, but just be aware. Good. There is only one correct answer for the number one and number two spot. (laughs) It has been spoken, and Rob is correct. Um, am I, do we, Rob, you want to go last on this one? Sure. Okay. I'm going to go with, for the first time, and this one I could have had 50 entries. I only actually did five. And I stopped. So I only have five written down. Are they in order? I mean, that, that keeps changing. I'm working on it, all right? But, number five, Home Alone. Okay. Could you? It has to be on the list. It just has to. Yeah. Agreed. Um, number four, I'm gonna do Labyrinth. Okay. Because that's a good one. Love it. Um, number three, I'm gonna do Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, I don't really see them as kids. Okay. But technically, they're kids, right? Um, they're kids. They're high school kids. Yeah, they're high school kids. Yep. Um, number two, Never Ending Story. And Omar just got stabbed multiple times. And number one is Goonies. Omar did not get stabbed for his number one, but his number two <laughs> choice is incorrect. Uh, so I mean, he, I so love that. So movie. he got stabbed for number two, but then after number one, you patched him up a little. A little bit of a little bit. here and there. Yeah, and I didn't with, but without spit on any him. Nova, without any anesthesia though. Correct. And there's so many other movies that you could have done. Like when you were Greg, when you were doing yours, I forgot about the movie Kids. Like the movie Kids. Oh, that's definitely kids on their own doing things. That is definitely doing. kids on their own, uh, unsupervised in a big way. But that movie's so like bleak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, even if I'd remembered it, I would not have put it on here. So I guess that means it's my turn. It does. Well, all right. For this My is the is... this is the actual real correct list, for just for the record. Yes. My That'd my be funny list if has... he actually doesn't get the first two right and has to stab himself. <laughs> no, no, because no, he's no. actually with the... himself right now. I got the first two right. Um, okay, the, what's the right? The three, what's four, the, real list? the three, four, and five are are um, subject to opinion, but number one and number two are not. Okay, fair. Um, at number five, I've got, I had Home Alone, but Greg, you convinced me, Summer of 84. Boom. I, I wanted to put Home Alone in here just because it's iconic, but Summer of 84 was a, was a better movie. I enjoyed it a lot more. Okay. Um, at number four, I've got Labyrinth. At number three, I've got a movie that was reminded to me by our our discord chat and nobody else said it so far but at number three i've got monster squad yeah okay and then of course number two is lost boys and number one is the goonies all right fair enough be like number one is flight of the navigator stab 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 (laughs) flump you never get to finish the word navigator (laughs) because Yeah, Craig says, number seven. one is Flight of the Net. Oh, <laughs> And then I come in on the mic and I'm like, the Goonies. Goonies. <laughs> Flight of the Goonies, call it what you want. It's Goonies. <laughs> yeah, so that 
was Adventures of Babysitting, and that was our list. Uh, how can, Omar, how can people reach us? Um, if they are so inclined, they can... If they want to be stabbed by Rob. If they... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They can... Um, let's see. There's always gimme5podcast.com. That's F-I-V-E, not the number five. Um, we are also on all of the social medias, you know, your face tweets and your um, bookstagrams and whatnot. Um, so on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, uh, get, it's at Gimme5Pod. You can search for Gimme5Podcast on Facebook, and we're on there as well. Um, there's also Gimme5Podcast at gmail.com, and you can tell Greg why his lists are always wrong, or you can tell Rob why his lists are always perfect. Um, Don't it, let him scare you. <laughs> too late. Oh, <laughs> stab, stab, stab. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what he didn't gr- say was that I'm actually in his in his uh, apartment, standing over I'm him. I'm so afraid eyes. to turn around right now. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, how are you outside my uh, window? I'm on the third floor. I don't understand how you're doing that. Um, you can leave tap, us a tap, review. tap, tap on the window. <laughs> with the blade. That's a Lost Boys <laughs> reference, I guess. Right? Um, yeah. You can leave us a review on iTunes if you would like. That'd be great. Um, or whatever other podcast app you use. Those are some ways you can get a hold of us. Um, go for it. Say hello, please. Excellent. Excellent. Guys, remember. Thank you for listening. Oh, I no, just stepped on Rob's tagline. I suck. Step, step, step. Step, step, step. Try it again. Guys, remember hit us up, drop us a line. We want you to give us five. Did we have any listeners? Do I need to stab any listeners? Yeah, don't write down that I threatened to stab listeners.